Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And today is Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen. God bless you. Uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, and uh, open up your Bible there. And we're going to start here in verse 1. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Unaware. Paul's desire, I mean, we, we, we've seen it exemplified in our study in the book of Acts. And we see a picture of his heart writing to the church in Rome. And here we are writing to the church in Corinth. And what do you see? You see, we see Paul's heart being poured out for Christians, for the saints. His desire for the saints not to be unaware. And in continuation of that, he says, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to have, it translates as lack of information and lack of intelligence. Or lack of information or lack of intelligence. Paul doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be without information or without intelligence. But what is the subject matter here? I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He is referencing things in the Old Testament. What we've been reading our study through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You see? Old Testament. Old Testament. People say, I don't like the Old Testament. It's too judgmental. I don't like it. Too much wrath. I don't like it. I like reading the New Testament. Well, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to, to have this lack of information. I don't want you to lack in, to have this uh, uh, to be have this lack of intelligence. Do you see what's happening here when people say, I don't like reading the Old Testament. Too much judgment. I don't like it, so I'm just going to stick in the New Testament. Not to say that the New Testament doesn't have beautiful things. The New Testament is it's the New Covenant. But lack of intelligence, lack of information is gained tremendously through the Old Testament. And for me personally, you know, I learned the fear of the Lord. I learned the fear of the Lord in the New Testament. A little bit. But I learned the fear of the Lord a lot in the Old Testament. A lot. And, you know, perhaps it's the same for you. I pray it's the same for you. I mean, when we study, sometimes we study passages in the Old Testament, which just bless my socks off. And I pray they bless your socks off too. But then there are other parts of the Old Testament that we read that terrify me. Praise be to the Lord. We learn the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. The two work together. And if you're in the camp that says, oh, I don't like to read the Old Testament, I'm just going to do the New Testament. Leave that camp. That's not a good camp to be in. Because we have the full counsel of the Word of God. The camp of the church. The camp of the saints. Understanding these things in the Old Testament. What Paul says here. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses. Now this baptism translates as a washing in the cloud and in the sea. 
Remember, so the Israel passes, they leave Egypt and the Exodus, they pass through the sea on dry ground. Remember our study in Exodus? All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. Notice the capitalization here. That spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. We just studied that on Wednesday. We just studied that. Remember when, when in Exodus where the Lord says, you know, to Moses, strike the rock. But then in Numbers, he says, speak to the rock. Well, who was that rock? That spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ, you see. Just like we look at the Old Testament and you see like the capital A. Remember I mentioned the capital A? And you see the capital A, it's a theophany, Christophany. It's not just the capital A. Look at, we just see verse 4. That rock was Christ. You see? In verse 5, but with most of them. So look at all the alls here in verse 1, 2, 3, 4. Look at all the alls. All in verse 1, all our fathers, all passed. Verse 2, all were baptized. Verse 3, uh, all ate. Verse 4, all drank. In verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. Whoa, what? Look at all the murmuring and complaining we're studying in Numbers. Not just what we're studying, but what we've seen so far. Most of them, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Remember, the 11-day journey became 40 years. This is what we're studying in Numbers. 40 days or 11 days became 40 years. Why? Well, it, it's you know, look what happened because of their fear. They didn't go into Canaan because the Canaanites were too big for them. That's what they thought. But instead of fearing the Lord, they feared the people. And so, verse 6 now, these things became our examples. This is translates in the Greek as a model for warning. These things became our examples, or these things became our warning. Now, look at the church today. You have a pastor that doesn't teach from the Old Testament because there's too much judgment. Such a person cannot be called a pastor, biblically. Because now you have sheep that are without warning. The things that we study in the Old Testament, yes, they're difficult things. We study difficult things in the New Testament too. But we do see judgment in the Old Testament. But don't forget, whenever you see judgment, prior to judgment, there's always a time period of grace and mercy. God's love. Even in Egypt. Remember, Egypt was destroyed. Egypt was judged. God's wrath fell upon Egypt. But don't forget that God saved Egypt in His love in His mercy and in His grace. And Egypt acknowledged the Lord through Zafnath Paneah, Joseph. But then the Lord became forgotten. And when the Lord became forgotten, people went about their wayward ways. Wickedness became worse and worse. Israel became enslaved and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. You see? And yes, even though judgment came on Egypt... God's wrath befell Egypt. Don't forget that precursory to that. The, the, before all that happened, there was His love, His grace, and His mercy. Where a seven-year famine came, but the Lord rescued Egypt. 
you see, through Joseph. Look at today. Judgment is coming. But precursory to judgment is a time period of God's love, grace, and His mercy. You see, where are the messengers? Understanding that the things that we study, the judgment, the wrath, that we see in the Old Testament, understanding that they are our examples, a model for warning, just as is written in verse 6, why in the world would anybody exclude the Old Testament from studies? Why in the world would a, would a pastor or an elder exclude the Old Testament from their studies? You see? Why? It's very important to understand these things that are written of old to see that, look at all the alls. Look at all the alls that we see in verse 1, 2, 3, 4. And then in verse 5, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Now, I don't, I don't say this to like, you know, shame the church. This isn't like, like, you know, shame on you, shame on you. No, it's look at the rock. The rock was Christ. The rock is Christ. It shows us our need for Him. Our need of a Savior. And so, understanding in verse 6 that now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We should not crave. Crave is how that translates. Crave after evil things as they also lusted. Now you see, a lot of times people will shun the things written in the Old Testament, but they do so at their own detriment. And I don't say this to say, you know, like, you know, oh, oh, look how bad this is. Don't do this. Don't do this. I guess in a sense I do, but I don't want that to be said of you. To pinpoint their example as a bad example so you don't do that. Because sometimes, you know, like a, a lot of um, students, they tend to take on the study habits of their teachers. It's very common. They tend to take on the study habits of their teachers. And if your teacher is wherever it is, whatever form, maybe it's from Tricking Believers Nightly. Maybe you watch TBN. And you're like, okay, this is my teacher. Okay, wait a second. You know, where is the study in the Old Testament? You see, to learn and understand and not pick up these study habits from these so-called teachers. But you go directly to the teacher, capital T. His name is Jesus Christ, the rock. And when you understand that this rock that followed them in the wilderness, that rock was Christ, as is revealed here in verse 4. When you have that understanding, you see, wow, that's a theophany in the Old Testament. Christ was with them. And as new covenant believers, understanding that it's our examples, okay, what do we do then knowing that it's our example for, for our own, own journey? Perhaps even when an 11-day journey becomes a 40-year journey. Okay, so now that we have this understanding of this Old Testament example, and what it means for us as New Covenant believers. And remember, you say, oh, I'm not Jewish, I'm Gentile. Okay, that's fine. But don't forget, there were provisions in the law, provisions in the Old Testament, provisions in the ordinances, provisions in the statutes for non-Jews to be grafted in. 
So you can say, oh, I'm not Jewish. That doesn't apply to me. Okay, you're Gentile. So am I. The warning still applies to us. Using the Old Testament, you know, Old Testament ordinances. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust or crave after evil things as they also lusted. And it's not just lust. It's not just craving. And in verse 7, and did not become idolaters. Remember, this is a letter to the church. A letter to the church in Corinth. Look, remember, remember Corinth? Corinth was, there was a lot of craziness happening in Corinth. It was the, the, the commercial hub. Gods and goddesses everywhere. The temples of this, temples of that. And when I say gods, I mean lowercase g. Not the most high. The most high is the most high. But there were still all these goddesses, you know, Aphrodite, there was uh, Diana, all these different gods and goddesses, a lot of fertility gods, the sex goddesses, all these things, the priests and the priestesses that would worship there had a lot of sex. The, the, the priestesses were basically prostitutes. And so were the guy priests. They were prostitutes too. Inter, intersex, like, you know, guys with guys, girls with girls, guys with girls, all these different things. You say, oh, that's so gross, that's so gross. I know. But in the midst of that culture, in the midst of that city, in the midst of that commercial hub with all the mess that was happening. And yes, that mess, Corinth came into the church, just as we see in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Heavy, heavy things that we discussed. Heavy, heavy, heavy things that we studied. And Paul writes this letter to the church. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, do you remember our study in Exodus uh, 32? When Moses came down the mountain, he was in the cloud with the Lord. He came out of the cloud and he sees Joshua there. And then him and Joshua walked down the hill and walked down the mountain. And Joshua's like, what, what is this noise I hear? I hear this. Sounds like, you know, what's going on here? And they get and they see the golden calf. And not just the golden calf, but they see all kinds of sexual stuff, all kinds of orgies, all kinds of, you know, disgusting things. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Now, if you're like, whoa, what is he talking about? Listen to our study in Exodus 32. It's the worship of the golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You say, oh, that's Old Testament. I understand it's Old Testament. I understand it's Exodus 32, but here we are studying it, referencing it in 1 Corinthians 10. A carnal church, baby church, baby Christians. Do you remember chapter 3? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Very interesting, because people, people today are in love with spirituality. Oh yeah, I'm very spiritual. Or yeah, I like to be very spiritual. Paul says, okay. I can't speak to you as to spiritual. He's speaking to Christians. Christians. Saints. The church. And he's saying to the church, I can't speak to you like spiritual people. I cannot do it. Why? Because of their carnality. He says, as, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Why? Because they were milk drinkers. 
Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. See? Milk drinkers. Understand milk is good, but milk is for babies. And Paul says to the church, I can't talk. I have to speak to you guys like you are babies. It's sad. It's a sad state. And this, you know, it's one thing if there's a brand new church, but they're three years in, three years in from their birth in Christ, from being born again. You see? Let's go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, sexual immorality, which is the sexual lust, but as the act of a harlot. Nor let us commit these things. Nor let us commit sexual lust, but it's the act of a harlot, like a prostitute, a whore, is how it translates. And when he says, nor let us commit, how it translates is not even, not even let us commit sexual immorality. I love how Paul includes himself saying to the church, we're in the same boat. Nor let us commit. Not even is how it translates. Not even let us commit sexual immorality. Look at what was happening in Corinth. Look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 6. Look at chapter 7. Those passages that we studied were difficult, were tough. Almost like to address, like, how did this happen? To address, why, why did this happen? How did it happen? Well, number one, they were babies. They didn't grow. They didn't, and for three years, they were on arrested development. They didn't develop as babies into toddlers, toddlers into, I guess, I don't know, kids, kids into teenagers, teenagers into more understanding, and then into adulthood. They didn't move on to perfection. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Defunct. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day... 23,000 fell. You see? We see that. God's wrath. Judgment. Remember? Korah and those who were his adherents, his followers, and the earth opened up and destroyed families, took families. Korah, like the earth opened up, boom, wife, kids, women, children, sons, daughters, boom, gone. It's like, well, that's terrifying. I know. I know. That's why, verse 6, these things became our examples. Now, understanding that these things became our examples, do you see how beautiful it is when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints? Remember our studies in Exodus? When it was just Moses in the cloud with the Lord, and the Lord was giving him blueprints. And in our study in Leviticus, Acts, we see everything come to pass where, okay, the blueprints, they're being constructed, the blueprint, the, the temple being constructed, fabricated, all these things, the artisans, skilled workers, the Levites, the Kohanim, the priesthood, all these things coming to pass are happening. Their journey in the wilderness, the Lord is with them, praise be to the Lord. But then at the same time, in verse 6, how much more beautiful is it to understand, as new covenant believers, to understand that, wait a second, the Lord is capturing all these things written of old to help us in our walk today, in our walks with Him, because they became our examples. 
so that we can understand the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. You see? In verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. Now, it's, you, you understand that you know when the, we see that the rock that followed them, that rock was Christ, as we see in verse 4. Then you see, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also test, tempted. And then you see this theophany, this Christophany, understanding that the rock was Christ. And were destroyed by serpents. This is something that we're going to study on Wednesday. They're destroyed by serpents. We're going to study this more in depth on Wednesday. Nor complain. There it is, the murmuring and complaining. You see murmuring and complaining, what we study in Numbers? You see a little bit of in Exodus? But as New Covenant believers, the same thing applies to us. We too can murmur and complain. I love how Paul includes himself. We're all in the same boat. Verse 8, nor let us. Or not even let us. In verse 9, nor let us. You see? This inclusion. We're in the same. He's not teaching like at the people. Hey, you do this and I'm going to do something else. No. We're all in the same boat. One body, many parts. In verse 10, nor complain. Murmuring complain as new covenant believers is entirely possible. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Translates as the venomous serpent. We're going to study this more next week or on Wednesday. And verse 11. Now all these things happen to them as examples, tupos in the Greek, tupos, which is a model for warning. All these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Translates as instruction of warning. You see, have you ever like bought like a, I don't know, bought something, but you have to assemble it. And, you know, you look at, you, you read the instructions, and but then you see like warning labels. Don't do this. Don't use it for this. It's not to be used for that. I mean, sometimes because, you know, as people are getting more dumb in these last days, because it's strong delusion. It's a form of judgment. You see people doing things with it, like, that's stupid. Why did that happen? Why did he do that? Why? It's like, I mean, you ever look at a warning label and you see the warning label? It's like, did somebody really do that? Yes, somebody really did. That's why it's there. That's why the warning label is there. But that's, that's in accordance to the world. That's in accordance to the world. But verse 11, we see these things. I mean, like, look at the murmuring and complaining that we see in the Old Testament. And, you know, you read that. You read certain passages where it's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe more murmuring and complaining, more idolatry, more lust. But then look at the state of the church today. More lust. More idolatry, more murmuring and complaining in the church today. And Paul, who includes himself, let's not do this, guys. That's what he's saying. Not even let us commit sexual immorality. You know, let's not become idolaters. Let's not lust. Let's not become idolaters. Let's not commit sexual immorality. Let us not tempt Christ. Let us not complain. Why? Because these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our, our admonition. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith, but I strongly recommend the highlight of verse 11. Strongly, strongly, strongly recommend highlight verse 10, 11, or chapter 10, verse 11. That all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. 
And never forget it too. Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your mind. Because we're going to study heavy, 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 heavy things in the Old Testament. Heavy. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And with this knowledge, this base plate of the law and the ordinances, what we study in Leviticus, you're going to understand like, wow, it's so beautiful how the Lord put these ordinances in place because the remission of sins for when things go bad, when things go get nasty, when things get ugly, when things go sour. There's a means in place by which there's the remission of sins through repentance, through sacrifice. God cleaning up his people. See, by blood. But the same thing happens to us. When things get ugly, when things get bad, when things get nasty, there is a way. You see? The way, the truth, the life. That's what the Lord says. Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as you highlight verse 11, these things are, became our these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. It's to understand like, well, the Lord is warning us. It's like a warning label for Christians. Don't do this. He gives us instructions. B-I-B-L-E, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. You see? Okay, you know, now that we have this example, you're, we're going to read the Old Testament and study the Old Testament. And then you see, okay, verse 6, don't lust. Verse 7, don't become idolaters. Verse 8, don't commit sexual immorality. Verse 9, don't tempt Christ. Verse 10, don't complain. Because these things are examples in the Old Testament. How the Lord deals. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. How the Lord reacts and responds when these things happen in the camp of Israel. And as new covenant believers, Gentiles even, I'm assuming you're Gentile if you're Messianic Jew, praise be to the Lord. But as new covenant believers, it's a warning for you and for me. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And the end of the age, it's as surely as the Lord lives, it will come. It will come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, let him who supposes he stands, take heed lest he fall. That's what's so beautiful about Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a scary verse. Verse 12, chapter 10, 10, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians. It's kind of a scary verse. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, let him who supposes he stands, take heed lest he fall. Whoa. Whoa. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. These are scary, but you know what? They're necessary. Because as new covenant believers, we learn the fear of the Lord. We understand the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord has a purpose. The Lord uses it. It's, it's a healthy thing to fear the Lord and to have respect and reverence for him. And then also the love of the Lord. As new covenant believers, the two work together, the love and fear of the Lord. In verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You see, such as is common to man. But God is faithful. I love this so much because, you know, you see passages like this and it's like, 
overtaken by guilt, overtaken by remorse. But then you see passages like this and you, you understand that the guilt and the, remor- the remorse is beautiful because it helps us repent. It helps us repent. And remember, with repentance, sin is forgotten. By the Lord. Mankind is going to remember sin. You see, people are going to maybe even throw it in your face. Oh, you did this, you did that. That's part of reaping what you have sown. But then at the same time, what does to the Lord? Forgotten. And then he says, go and sin no more. You see? How be- the fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing. I don't get why people shun the fear of the Lord. I get that the love of the Lord is beautiful. And I'm not negating that at all. But the fear of the Lord? I mean, you know, I like to explain this with Hawaii. You know, beautiful, beautiful island. You know, different islands. But, you know, some parts are, you know, uh, uh, nicer than others. You know, as as far as, you know, like, you know, depending on what, what it is, you know. Where it is, locale. Some parts are okay. You have like... $10 million neighborhoods, neighborhoods where the average cost of a house is, you know, over $3 million. And, you know, nice, nice, nice beachfront. The ocean is right there. It's like your backyard. You have the ocean right there. Some homes are $10 million, Some homes are $20 million. Beautiful, beautiful homes. I mean, like, you know, in accordance to the world. But then also they have active volcanoes there, too. And you know what you, what you don't see near the active volcanoes? You don't see these $10 million homes. You don't even see, you know, somebody in their sleeping bag, you know, a a, a 10-cent home. You know why? Yes, it's Hawaii. Beautiful, beautiful, you know, paradise. I meant lowercase p, not the paradise, but this beautiful island. But you don't see the 10-cent, you know, a a $20, you know, sleeping bag. Where there's the active volcano. Because there's lava. It's hot. It'll burn. It'll kill. In one part of the island, you have $10 million homes. On the other part of the island, you have nothing. Why? Because of the lava. It's scary. Lava is scary. (laughs) You know? You go swim in a lake. You're not going to go swim in in lava. You'll die. I mean... It's foolishness to talk like this because it's kind of like a no-brainer. But the example still exists. It's the fear of lava. You know, you see a kid running towards lava, you're going to see a parent chase that kid. Like, don't you dare go near that lava. It's going to kill you. The kid doesn't understand. See, it's, it's a no-brainer to, 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 to have this argument. It's a no-brainer. Like, you know, don't build a $10 million mansion on this lava, next to this lava. Don't even put your 20 cent, you know, 20 cent a sleeping bag there. Don't even lay there for free because you'll die. You got the fumes, you'll die. You got the lava, you'll die. The, the rocks, they're not secure. You might slip and fall and then you're dead. Going to the ocean, the ocean, the waves are going to crash you against the rocks. You're dead. It's a no-brainer. Like, don't even mess with that stuff. Why? Because lava is scary. The same thing applies in our walk with the Lord. Why build a house on the sand? 
It's not sure ground. Why mess with this? When the Old Testament teaches us, when the Old Testament warns us, why play these games? Why, you know, why seek the counsel of the dead when the Old Testament warns us? Why commit necromancy when the Old Testament warns us? Why would anybody want to go grave soaking when the Old Testament warns us? Oh, I don't like the Old Testament. It's too much, too judgmental. Well, you're missing out. And not just missing out. You're woefully missing out. And willfully. You see? These things are written for our admonition. And even still, God is faithful through it all. God is faithful through it all. You understand that? Yes, lava is scary. But you know what else is scary? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's scary. And then you see the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord working together. And it's helpful. It's beneficial for us. In verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Translates as this, who will not leave you to be tempted beyond what you are able. A lot of people, they see, you know, depending on what translation they read, maybe it's Alexandrian text, and they say, okay, he's not going to allow me to be tempted beyond what we are able. So, because the Bible says this, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go to this strip club. I'm going to go hang out with these uh, 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 drug dealer friends of mine. I'm going to go hang out with this guy. I'm going to go hang out with this lady. I'm going to go do this. And then all of a sudden, not understanding that Satan's a fisherman too, they get sucked into those lifestyles. But the Bible says here, who will not leave you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Remember, he's the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, it's to understand like, wait a second. So what's happening here? Well, turn with me really quick to Matthew. Matthew 19. And Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible. Because I'll tell you what happens. A lot of times we read like in chapter 10, verse uh, uh, verse 13. You see, uh, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And a lot of times you talk to people, they're in habitual sin. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you, my friend. Maybe that's you, my brother. Maybe that's you, my sister. Habitual sin. And you read passages like this in chapter 10, verse 13. Wait a second. You read this. But God is faithful who will not allow you or leave you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And day in, day out, you succumb to temptation. And so you read a verse like this and you're like, oh, this is impossible. I've had this habitual sin for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, over and over and over, and I hate it. I cannot stand it. It's like this. Have you ever talked to Christians like that? Spoken to Christians like that? Like spiritual basket cases. And I don't mean to say that to, to hurt anybody's feelings. 
But that's what it's like, like spiritual basket cases. Where is the victory? There is no victory. Oh, impossible. How, how is it that, you know, he will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I am able? I don't get it, but I stumble every day. I stumble here and it's the same thing over and over. It's a habitual sin. Well, just like Matthew 19 verse 26 says, with men, this is impossible. You can go to your therapist. You can go to your psychiatrist. You can go to whatever, but with men, it's impossible. But what is impossible for God? What is impossible for him, the creator of all things? All things are possible with God. Let's see what the Bible says here. In chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, verse 13. But with temptation will also make the way of escape. It translates in the Greek as an exit. Understand this. But with the temptation, so when you're tempted, not if you're tempted, when you're tempted, in whatever way, shape, or form, could be, could be any of these topics that we studied today. It could be lust. It could be, in verse 6, the lust. In verse 7, it could be idolatry. In verse 8, it could be the sexual immorality, the act of a harlot, which, you know, lust, like in verse 6, you see lust is craving, but what is it that you crave? Is it the sex? Is it the drugs? Is it the alcohol? Is it the whatever? Idolatry in verse 8, the sexual immorality. In verse 10, murmuring and complaining. What is it? What is that foothold that the enemy has? Oh, but I have this habitual sin. Okay. What's the, you call it habitual sin. But what is that foothold? Is it the sex? Is it the drugs? Is it the alcohol? What is that foothold? And understand this. With temptation, like it says in verse 13, with temptation, meaning this. Temptation also has the accompaniment of the way of escape. The exit. Always. 100% of the time. Just as is written here in verse 13. But with temptation will also make the way of escape. Whenever, listen to me, hear me, my beloved, my beloved brother, my beloved sister, my friend, hear me. When you're tempted, it's not temptation alone. It's not temptation and temptation by itself. Maybe you're tempted in one area, two areas, three areas, four areas, no matter what it is, with those forms of temptation. It's not temptation. Never, 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 never is it temptation alone. Because with temptation will also make the way of escape. There's always an exit. You know what I say? Look for the door. Look for the door. I say door on purpose too to those who have ears. Look for the door. There's always a way of escape. Oh, but I can't escape. It's habitual. It's habitual. I can't escape. I haven't escaped for five years. I haven't escaped for 10 years. Okay, that's a different ballgame. 
Maybe you like it. That's an entirely different ballgame. Oh, I have this habitual sin. You know, the sex, the pornography, the drugs, the meth, the whatever. It's habitual. Okay. With that temptation, there's always been a door. Maybe you just haven't seen it. Maybe you just never known about it. But now you know. Maybe you've been, you know, oh, but I've been a Christian for 20 years. Have you read 1 Corinthians? Yes, I've read it 20 times already. Okay. Maybe you're a milk drinker. Maybe you've arrested development. Maybe you're not maturing in Christ because you don't understand. You can read, but you don't understand. And I don't say this to shame. I don't say this to hurt. And I don't say, I know sometimes... The word, my verbiage is abrasive. I fully understand that. But I'm not an eloquent guy. I, don't, I, I, I just don't know how to formulate that, you know, certain eloquence. I don't want to be gruff to the point where it hurts. But you have to know this. You have to understand this. Oh, but, you know, I'm, I'm tempted with this. I'm tempted with the sex, the drugs, the pornography, the alcohol, the tax cheat. It's so good on my taxes. I get $5,000 extra. All these things. I get to claim this. I get to claim that. And I'm going to say this little white lie. I'm going to say this little white lie. And the, oh, there's also this little white whatever. Okay. I get it. I understand it. So you're telling me about the little white lie. You're telling me about the little white pornography. You're telling about the little white Satanism, the little white occult, the little white Ouija boards, the little white necromancy. Okay, I get it. I understand it. It's part of these earth suits. It's part of this, the flesh. Now that we have this understanding of the flesh, What does the Bible say? And is the Bible our authority? Because with temptation, there is always the door. Always. With temptation. Temptation is never alone. With temptation, there's always the way of escape. Oh, but it's habitual. It's habitual. Okay. Maybe you like the sin. But that's a totally different subject matter. That's loving darkness more than the light. Just as is written in John 3. That's loving darkness more than the light. Which isn't good. That requires repentance. Temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. How we respond to temptation can be a sin, but it is not a sin to be tempted. You see? I understand the, the carnal nature. I understand the flesh, the ways of the flesh. But when the Bible is our authority, my authority and your authority, we're in the same boat. When the Word of God is our authority, you say, oh man, but you don't understand. It's habitual. I've been having this problem for 
10 years, 20 years. I've talked to this counselor. I've talked to that counselor. I've went to marriage counseling, all these things. I get it. I understand. With men. With men. It's not, it's impossible. You can have, go to a marriage counselor. With men, it's impossible. Oh, I have this habitual sin. I'm a crackhead. Oh, I'm a sex head. I like the pornography. I like the drugs. I like the alcohol. And you can go seek men. But why would you want to seek men when you can seek the face of the Lord? In whom all things are possible. I mean, you want to go to a counselor? Are all things possible with the counselor? Are all things possible with the therapist? And remember, those guys are in business. Those people are in business. Which means their bottom line is dependent on this visit that you have with him or her. Do you think they're not going to want to see you again? No, they're going to want to see you next week, a couple days, you know. Oh yeah, let's have an, have an hour-long chat. You have a problem? Okay, let's have an hour-long chat. And we'll talk about this and that. Oh, yeah, let's talk for two hours. By the way, I'm not telling you that, you know, I charge $100 an hour. I charge, you know, I, I, my office in the Pacific Palisades, I, I charge three $500 an hour. Oh, yeah, let's sit down. Tell me about your problems. You know, tap, they hit the button, start the clock. And there you go, talking away, talking away. To a person in whom is... It's impossible. You're done. The doctor says, okay, here, I'm going to give you this medication. So now you're a zombie. You're turning crazy. I'm going to give you these, you know, all these drugs. Here's this drug for this, this drug for that. And you're messing with the, you know, the, uh, the biology of the, you know, I'm not like, you know, a do- doctor, chemist or anything like that. But, you know, I've seen a lot of veterans with a lot of depression and they're straight up zombies. Zombies, because the doctors give them cocktail, just a drug cocktail. Take this, take this, take this, take this, take this, and they're just zombied out. Here, I'm going to write you a prescription for this and that and that, and come back next week. The prescription is going to cost you, you know, $200 a bottle. And, you know, go to this pharmacy, I get some kickbacks. Oh, yeah, come back next week. Your visit to that doctor is impacts their bottom line. So what is their interest? Is their interest your well-being or is their interest your wallet? Their wallet. Okay, so now that we've established that, what about the person that charges nothing? Remember Paul? He says, I don't want your money. We studied that a couple weeks ago. I don't want your money. Last week to be exact. Just like chapter 9 verse 15. I have used none of these things. I have, I have a right to charge you, Christians, saints. I have a right to charge you, biblically. But I don't and I won't. I have used none of these things. He says in verse 17, for in chapter 9 verse 17, If I do this willingly, I have a, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may, pre- may, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. You see? Free of charge. 
And so Paul, a vessel of the Lord, is exhorting the church, even warning the church through the Old Testament. These things are written for our admonition. Oh, but you don't understand. This is such a habitual sin. Maybe that's an excuse. Maybe you say habitual sin as an excuse because you like the sin, which is an entirely different subject matter because that's loving darkness more than the light. Understand that the whole time, God is faithful. In verse 13, as is written, who will not leave you, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You must, my beautiful, beautiful brother, my beautiful, beautiful sister, you must look for the door. Look for the door. With temptation, there is always the door. You must look for that door. You see? Because I'll say pornography, it's a huge problem in the church. It's a huge problem with men. It's growing now in women, but it's a huge problem with men. Oh, but it's habitual. It's habitual. I like this. I do this. I do these things, all these things. Help me. I need help. Okay. I'll help you. Free of charge. Tell your wife. No way. No way. She's going to kill me. Good. You see? I'll help you. Free of charge. Give me your phone. I'm going to smash it on the ground. No, no, no. I paid $2,000 for that phone. Okay. Is your soul? That $2,000 is more than your soul? You see, you you sell your soul for so cheap? see, pornography is a cancer in the church. It's getting worse and worse. And and it's going to get worse. Except for the remnant. Not so with the remnant. But pornography is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Hearts and minds are going to get darker and darker and more decrepit. Nasty, filthy. I feel bad for, you know, like little girls because like, you know, they have these ideas like, oh yeah, I can't wait to get married. I can't get to get married and, you know, all these things. And then they're teenagers, but the guys have already been infected. Age eight, nine, ten, they've already been infected. They've already been exposed to this dirtiness, to the filth of the world. And they already have these dirty minds. And so this girl's going to grow up. Oh, I'm going to get married. I'm going to marry my prince. Boom. You married a sicko. You see? The world is the world. But it's coming into the church. It's I shouldn't say it's coming into the church. It's here. It's here. A bunch of sickos with dirty minds and disobedient. Why do I say disobedient? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, bring every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's a disobedient mind. Also, disobedience to the word of God in Philippians 4, verse 8. 
whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. Don't meditate on the dirtiness. Don't meditate on the filth. That's a filthy mind. That's a disobedient mind. Men in ministry who have told me, oh yeah, I could produce pornography movies. What? Does your wife know? Do your daughters know? You see? Do your sons know? I feel bad for like the females, like the young females. It's like, wow. The, it's like a, a 95% chance that you're going to marry a sick-minded guy. 95% chance. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, <laughs> I don't mean to scare you. Those aren't, those aren't good odds. <laughs> but it's the world. It's the world. And I blame the pastors. Because they don't teach. Oh, I don't want to teach the Old Testament. It's just too much judgment and I don't want to hurt the flock. Well, in failure to teach, you are hurting the flock because they don't know, they don't understand. 95 to my young sisters, you know, you're young and you're looking forward to marriage. There's a 95% chance that you're going to marry a sicko who's been infected by pornography. But don't forget 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 34, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. There's a better marriage. There's a better marriage. It's a cancer in the church pornography. And it's metastasized. It's getting worse. And it's malignant too. People say, oh, I have habitual sin. Okay. What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's sit down here. You can go talk talk to that guy, but you know, with him, all things are, you know, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna happen. With this guy that you wanted to pay this doctor, all things are impossible. Nothing's possible with that guy, with that lady therapist, with that guy therapist who charges you two hundred dollars an hour. Oh, but you know, it's it's free. I'm on, you know, I'm on the you know state health program. Okay. So they'll visit you for an hour. They'll visit you for a couple hours, but they're going to build a government. And that's going to be accrued towards your estate. So when you die, nothing for your kids because you're, you, you have given it to the state. You see? Probate. Good old probate. I, I, I teach from America, so it might be different in wherever you're at. You see? Sin begets sin begets sin, and rot begets rot begets rot. Okay, so that's that's a side issue. What's the issue? What's this? What's this habitual sin you say it is? Okay, it's pornography. Don't tell anybody it's pornography. Pornography? Okay, I'll help you. Piece of cake. You ready? Yeah. What do I do? Tell your wife. <laughs> no, no, no. She can never know. She's your helper. You married her. I don't know any wife. I don't know any, any wife that will have a problem taking a computer and trashing that, destroying that thing. I don't know any wife that has any problem doing that. A phone. I don't know any wife 
that would have any problem destroying a phone, even if it's a $2,000 phone. You see? Even if it's a $5,000 computer. I don't know any wife that has a problem doing that. The majority of wives that I know. You see? And husbands miss out. Oh, but my wife has to submit to me. My wife has to submit to my authority. I am the head over her. You see? Meanwhile, the husband's a sicko. And the wife submits to a sicko instead of submitting to her better husband. Capital H. Jesus Christ. Pornography is a big problem. You know, there's drugs. There's the alcohol. But never forget that with temptation, there is always, 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 always a way of escape. Always. There is always the exit. That's how it translates. In verse 13, with temptation will always make the way of an exit. There is always an exit plan, no matter what, with temptation. That's what happens. That's how it was designed that you may be able to bear it, that you may be able to endure, you must look for that door. Whenever temptation hits. But what are it, the sex, the pornography, the drugs, the alcohol, the whatever it is, you must look for that door. And if you know there's a door and you don't take that door, that's another issue. That's another issue. That's loving darkness more than the light. That's an entirely different issue. Still a trap. But it's an entirely different issue. People use this excuse for, you know, habitual sin. It's an excuse. That's what it is. You know what I love so much? The the woman caught in adultery, her own sexual sin. Don't forget there was a guy there too. But no, they brought the lady before the Lord. Woman, where are your accusers? He tells her. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And you know what she does? She goes and sins no more. What was her encounter with? The door. You see? The gate to those who have ears. You see? Beautiful. Men, men can learn from the example of this beautiful woman. All women are beneath us. We're men. Stupid. Stupid. No machismo in the Bible. You see machismo in the world. That's the way of the flesh. You see, men can learn a great deal from the example of this beautiful woman who was caught in adultery. And the Lord says, go and sin no more. And what does she do? She goes and sins no more. Oh, but it's impossible. I can't do it. I can't do it. I have this habitual sin. This is so good. This is so great. This is so fine and dandy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Oh, but it has a foothold on my heart. It has Okay, I understand. But don't forget that with God, all things are possible. The woman caught in adultery. She went to the door. She was at the door. I shouldn't say she went to the door. She was brought to the door. What's, 
What's your story? What's your excuse? Now that you know that there's always a way of escape, what's your excuse, oh man? Oh, I know there's a way of escape, but I don't take it. Okay, that's another issue. You see? Do you love the darkness more than the light? Very important to understand these things as we mature in Christ. It's a big problem in the church. And so look what happens here. In verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, you see Paul, he remember, he birthed them as children. Remember chapter 4? He birthed them. The, the word that he uses there is like a female giving birth to children. But he says, I have birthed you in the gospel. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee, which is to escape and run away. You see? Now, understand what the church has gone through already. What the church has gone through. Remember chapter 5? I mean, you hear me reference chapter 5 a lot. If you don't listen to our study in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, a lot of sex. A lot, a lot of sex. But you look at Corinth. What do you see in this church? Not the church, but you look at in the city of Corinth. There was the fertility gods, the fertility goddesses, you know, sex gods, sex goddesses. There was sex all over the place. It was like a sexually charged culture. And culture was coming into the church instead of the other way around. Same thing today. And Paul says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, escape and run away. And look what the church has gone through already, the church in Corinth. Look at the defunct pastors and the defunct elders. Why didn't they teach? For three years, why didn't these pastors, except those in the household of Chloe. I can't wait to meet Chloe. I can't wait to meet her fellowship or that fellowship that met in her house. I cannot wait to meet them. Beautiful. Be- and I have a hunch that they, the, 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 the little population in that the, 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 the census, just like numbers, <laughs> the census in the household of Chloe, I bet you it's predominantly female. I have a hunch. But now you see the danger of defunct pastors and defunct elders. Maybe the elders and the, de- the, the, the pastors in Corinth, maybe they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Maybe they didn't want to study the Old Testament. Maybe they didn't want to study these things because, you know, the, the church was absent these warnings. But with defunct pastors, defunct elders, it comes at a heavy, 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 heavy cost to them and also to the church. Now, turn with me really quick to the book of Titus. Titus. Titus chapter 1. And in Titus chapter 1, this is a pastor to a pastor, not, not a pastor to a defunct pastor, not a pastor to a defunct elder. This is Paul to Titus, okay? Paul to Titus, pastor to pastor, old pastor to young pastor. And what we see here in this pastor to pastor exhortation, 
If you're a young believer, hear me out. If you're a mature believer, you must understand these things. Okay? In Titus chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this, Pastor to pastor, old pastor to young pastor, for there are many insubordinate, translates as unruly and disobedient. There are many insubordinate, both idle talkers, which is to be a vain talker, an idle talker. You know, you look at a car at idle. It's not moving. It's idling. The car at idle, it's not moving. Now you start to understand what happened in Corinth for three years. For three years, I wonder if those pastors, those defunct pastors, I wonder if those defunct elders were idling. No movement. Arrested development for the body. And with the arrested development, not in, not in Rome. The arrested development, not in Galatia. The arrested development in Corinth. With all of the things that were going around in Corinth, they left the door wide open for the world to come into the church. Instead of standing guard, instead of being at their post, instead of killing wolves, this defunct aspect of the defunct pastors and the defunct elders, it comes at a heavy cost for the church. Idle talkers. And deceivers, deceivers or seducers is how it trends. Don't forget that elders, pastors, shepherds can become wolves. Listen to our study in Acts 20. Especially those of the circumcision, the Judaizers, in verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. You see, that's hardcore. Remember, pastor to pastor, old pastor to young pastor, old overseer to young overseer. And he says of these people, these insubordinate, these unruly and disobedient, these idle talkers, these vain talkers and deceivers, these seducers. He says their mouths must be stopped. Oh, Paul, that's so mean-spirited. That's not loving. Don't forget, this is pastor to pastor, overseer to overseer, shepherd to shepherd, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert, who subvert or corrupt is how it translates, who subvert whole households, whole households. How has this happened? How, how does this happen to subvert, to corrupt whole households? And he says why? How this happens, teaching things which they ought not, you see. Such a person has no business at the pulpit. Such a person has no business at the pulpit. And what do they do? They go to the pulpit and they start to teach and they have no business teaching. Teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Translates as filthy lucre, dirty money. You say, wait a second, they get their tithes, they get their offerings, and it's from the people, and it's holy. Well, tithes turn into dirty by, it's the teachers that make it dirty. It's the, you know, it, it's like the uh, strange fire. I mean, the tabernacle was holy. The holy of holies was holy. The holy place was holy. The altar was holy. But the two sons of Aaron, two sons of the high priest, they offered strange fire. They brought strange. They're the ones that brought it. The people gave their offerings. That was holy. 
But these two sons of Aaron, what did they bring? Strange fire. It was them that brought in the defilement. You see? Dishonest gain. Strange fire. It's not a job. It's not like, okay, I, I, I want to make a lot of money, so I think I'm going to be a, a mega church pastor. No, no, no. The Lord has to call you in that ministry. The Lord has to... Just in any ministry, it's the Lord who has to do it. The Lord does it in, in this capacity. He's the one who puts things in the... He's the one who organizes everything. Now, there are other ministries where it's like, you know, choose from among you seven men. Choose from among you, you know, these men of, you know, a, a, a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit. You see? Full of wisdom. Not a novice. But it's the Lord who's doing the work. So I wanted to look at this, you know, pastor to pastor example. Because we get this and this idea in our head. Well, you know, oh, Paul is so mean. I mean, like, look at verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. Oh, Paul, that's not so loving. Well, understand who he's speaking to. He's speaking to another worker. You see? He's speaking to another worker. You know, shepherd to shepherd to Titus. Younger Titus. I think it's very interesting how a lot of times these churches have ministries and there's ministries that are all about audits. They do like these self-audits to make sure that they're in good standing with the IRS. You know, the, a, a guy will come in or a team of guys will come in or, you know, they'll come in and they'll say, okay, church, we want to look at your books. How's the pay? What are the offerings? What are the tithes? How are the offer? How's everything dispersed? And, you know, what are your tax holdings here? And they do all these in, internal audits. So when the IRS comes, the IRS, they say, okay, everything's good to go. You pass inspection. And they think, wow, this is such a good ministry. This is such a powerful ministry. Wow, look, we passed the IRS. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Look at this ministry, this auditing ministry. And I get it. But that's the ways of the world. That's in accordance to the flesh. What about, what about doctrinal audits? What about, audit, what about audits in accordance to the Spirit? Oh, I don't like to teach the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's too judgmental. Okay, you failed the audit. Repent. Oh, I don't like to teach uh, the book of Revelation. There's too much judgment. Okay, you failed the audit. Repent. Oh, this guy is having sex with his dad's wife. And you know what? I just want to love on him. Okay, you fail the audit. And you know, commit such a, a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's what the Bible says. You fail the audit. You see? Too much judgmental. I'm not going to come down harshly. You don't have to come down harshly. Just teach the Bible. And you know who does? The word of the Lord. You see? You fail the audit. The holy audit. You fail the audit. These defunct pastors in Corinth, defunct elders in Corinth, they failed the audit. But then this auditor goes into the household of Chloe. Oh, Chloe, beautiful fellowship. Okay. Pass the audit. Doctrinally. Chloe, have you been teaching through the Old Testament? Yeah, we studied this. 
past the audit. And you, stu- you know, Korah and those who follow Korah, you talked about judgment, you studied, to- you know, the judgment, because you- how the earth opened up and killed them all. Yeah, we just studied that last week. Wow, you passed the audit. Wow, cool. All the check marks, okay? Good, you passed the audit. Pass, 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 pass. Those in the household of Chloe. And you see the fruits in those in the household of Chloe too. Because they notified Paul. Hey, Paul, there's something wrong here in Corinth. These defunct pastors, these defunct elders of Corinth, they had no idea anything was wrong. No idea anything was wrong. Oh, let's just keep on going with the status quo. Paul said, no way. And he was alerted by those in the household of Chloe. So we have to understand this passage in Titus. Pastor to pastor, shepherd to shepherd, overseer to overseer. Now with this understanding, also know you have to make the distinction too between the field and the worker. You have to make that distinction. We studied it already. You have to make that distinction between field and worker. What do I mean in field and worker? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, In verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You see? So you have to understand. Are you in the field? And if you're in the field, you're God's building. Praise be to It's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's beautiful. But then you have to make the distinction between, okay, like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. Now you have to understand who are the workers. A lot of times people who are workers... They, they call themselves workers, but they have no business being workers. They need to be in the field. God's building. You see? Novices, a lot of people who are novices, young believers, they want, they're desperate to be a worker. But you have to let the Lord mature you. you. Only the mature can be workers. Because the mature know these things. The mature know about spiritual warfare. The mature know about how Satan transforms himself into, into an angel of light. The mature have the knowledge of the Word of God. And don't forget, knowledge is a tool. It's not, the, it's not the greatest gift. But it's still a good gift. Oh, I don't like to teach the Old Testament. I'm a worker, but I don't like to teach the Old Testament. Get back in the field. You see? Oh, I'm a worker, but I don't like to teach. You know, this guy's having sex with his dad's wife. You know, that's okay. He can still come to church. That's okay. He's been doing it for three years. That's perfectly fine. I'm not going to correct him. Get back in the field. You're not a worker. Or, hold on a second. Maybe you're a wolf. Let's have a conversation here. Brother. Let's have a conversation. You see? That's what shepherds do. To understand that there are people whose mouths must be stopped. Just like pastor to pastor said. Titus 1. Worker to worker. Not worker to field. People people who are in the field. That's not a bad thing at all. It's beautiful. If you're in God's field. If you're in God's building. Praise be to the Lord. The Lord is Lord of all. It's not a bad thing. But understand, worker to worker, it's a different calling. Shepherd to shepherd, overseer to overseer, a different calling. Different duties, different tasks. 
workers in the field. Now, people can transition from field to worker. People make that transition all the time, and it's the Lord who does it. And the transition from worker to field can happen too. And that's actually beautiful because I mean, both are beautiful. But it's beautiful when a worker understands like, oh, man, wait a second. You know, maybe it's humility. You know, maybe, you know, I wanted to do this, but, you know, the Lord didn't call me in this. So I'm going to go back to the field. I'm going to go back to the, be a building. Praise be to the Lord. But in pride and arrogance, sometimes people who have no business going from field to worker, they become a worker, they so-called worker. And because of pride and arrogance, Satan capitalizes on that and turns that person into a wolf, a hireling. That's what happens. Entirely supernatural. But the workers have a job to do. Shepherds have a job to do. A task. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10. In verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. I love this so much in verse 15. I speak as to wise men. So remember, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I speak to babies. I speak to babies because you guys are carnal. You guys, I have to talk to you. you, you no spiritual, like solid food. But it's like you guys are on milk. So, you know, I gave you milk and I still have to give you milk. But now he says in verse 15, I speak as to wise men. You know, here in chapter 10, I speak as to wise men. So in chapter 3, babies. In chapter 10, wise, wisdom is coming in. I mean, wisdom has been there, but now wisdom, I'm going to speak to you as you guys are more wise. Now, what's the difference between chapter 3 and chapter 10? What is that difference? Well, I mean, listen to our studies. In chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, listen to these studies. 5, 6, and 7 were heavy. Heavy. You know what happened? Division. That's what happened. Do you know why? Because when Paul says here in verse 15, I speak as to wise men. Well, look what's no longer in the fellowship. And I, I don't say this like, you know, boastfully. I don't say this with any kind of like, you know, oh, this is awesome. In one sense, there is that. But I'll get to that in a little bit. Look what's no longer in the fellowship. In chapter 5, verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So you have this brother in verse 1. It says, there is, he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. A guy in the fellowship having sex. Se sexual relations with his dad's wife. In the church, inside the church. A people supposed to be set apart, consecrated unto the Lord. And Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. In verse 6, still in chapter 5, 
Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the bunch? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, our Passover was sacrificed for us. You see, get rid of the leaven. Get rid of the leaven. He says this in chapter 5, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. In verse 13, those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. That's what I mean when I say division has happened. Division has happened. Chapter 6, verse 9, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Do not be deceived, he says. You know what happens today? A lot of men, a lot of pastors, and a lot of wives who submit to their dumb husbands. And, you know, if you're a godly husband in submission to Jesus Christ, you know, this doesn't apply to you. But you have a lot of men who are sex heads. They do their pornography and the wife submits to, you know, such a fool instead of submitting to her better husband. And so you have a husband and wife duo which say, oh, yeah, you can do all these things. God is gracious. You can do all these things. It's okay. Go ahead and fornicate. Go ahead and be, you know, a thief, a drunkard, reviler, sodomite, adulterer, idolater. Go ahead. God is good. God is forgiveness. God forgives. But this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 addresses that and says, Put away from yourself the evil person. Not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is involved with such, such things. So that's this division that is happening. Listen to our studies in chapter 5, 6, and 7. Hardcore stuff. Hardcore and the Lord cleans house. The church in Corinth, if in chapter 1, the, the church had a thousand people. I don't know how many people, but I'm just, I'm just saying a thousand for easy math. If the church in Corinth had a thousand people, by the time we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's not a thousand people. <laughs> it's not a thousand people. Now, this division that happens... It's biblical. It's biblical. The Lord even says that he divides. Don't forget, in, in Luke 12, in Luke 12, verse 51, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see, this division, it happens. That's what the Lord does. Remember our study in John 6? How multiple thousands of people, 5,000 plus people became hundreds and became fewer, became 12. You see? I meant 5,000 plus to 12. That's a major, major, major division. And that's what truth does. That's what truth does. You must teach. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, youth leader, ministry leader, you must teach truth. Old Testament, New Testament. 
And if it hurts, there's a lot of pain with division. A lot of pain. But it's much better that pain to endure that pain than it is to burn in hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see? And so in chapter 10, verse 14, Paul says, I speak as to wise men. You know, so in chapter 3, he says, you guys are babies. But in chapter 10, he says, okay, now I'm going to start speaking to you with a little bit more wisdom. I'm going to speak as if I'm speaking to wise people. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Look at what has been put away. Look at what has been dealt with. Look at the leaven that has been dealt with now. Now, those in the household of Chloe, maybe they're comfortable coming out of the house of Chloe and joining in certain fellowships. Maybe they're more comfortable. Why? Because the adulterer is gone. The sexual immoral is gone. The reviler is gone. The drunkard is gone. Maybe they're now, they're, they, they feel more comfortable joining in, you know, the, uh, this, the, the, the church in Corinth. I mean, the, the church in Corinth, but maybe they feel more comfortable with venturing out of Chloe's household. Because the leaven has been addressed. You see? That's what truth does. That's what truth does. Now, don't forget what we looked at in pastor to pastor, worker to worker, shepherd to shepherd, overseer to overseer. In Titus 1, verse 10 through 11. People who, you know, they teach things that they ought not teach. They have no business behind the pulpit. No business teaching. And yet they're teachers. And Paul says their mouth must be stopped. You see? Because he's a shepherd. He's not saying their mouth must be stopped because they're, they're, they're competition. No. Their mouth must be stopped because they're taking money. No. They're, they're taking money away from me. They're subverting the money away my channels of, of income. No. They're hurting the flock of God. They're hurting the sheep. They're hurting the lambs. You see? They're not feeding the lambs properly. They're not even protecting the lambs, the sheep. Shepherds feed. Shepherds tend. Shepherds care for the flock. Not their flock, the flock of the Lord. But remember, they're on the outside of the camp. Inside, you know, they... They might turn to, you know, here's your food, here's your food, care, tent. But outside the camp, they're on post, on guard, to kill wolves. Their mouths must be stopped. You see? You have to make this distinction because people say, oh, that's so mean-spirited. What do you mean their mouths must be stopped? They're, you're so mean-spirited. No. Where? Where do you see the mean-spiritedness? Oh, Paul's so mean, Paul's so mean. Where? Where do you see it? He says their mouths must be stopped, okay? Are you in the field or are you a worker? Oh, I'm a worker. You're a worker? Okay. Tell me what you teach. Okay, I teach, uh, oh, that God is love. Uh, do you teach revelation? No, 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 too much judgment. Okay, get back in the field. You're not a worker. You think you're a worker, but you're not a worker. 
Do you teach the Old Testament? No, no, no. Too much judgment. I don't like to teach that. It hurts people's feelings too much. Okay. Well, what you're doing, people are understanding, don't have this understanding that these things in the Old Testament are written for our admonition. They're written for our warning. They're They're written for us to help us understand the fear of the Lord. And since you refuse, you call yourself a teacher, but since you refuse to teach, get back in the field. You're not a worker. You think you are, but you're not. Get back in the field. Oh, I refuse to go in the field. You know, God has called me to be a worker. Okay. Did you test the spirits? And in this course of, in this, you know, distinction, it might be revealed that such a person who calls himself a teacher or calls herself a teacher might in fact be a wolf. Might in fact be a wolf. And wolves get killed by shepherds. And I, I'm speaking metaphysically. I'm, not spe- I'm speaking supernaturally. Not physically. But that's what happens. Wolves get killed. That's what happens. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. That's so mean-spirited. What about the flock? What about the green grass and still waters? Oh, that's so mean-spirited. Okay, let's... Let's let's look at the example. We have multiple, multiple examples of, I mean, we live in the last days. So there's examples all over the place of what the Bible warns about. So let's look at the Episcopals. Let's look at the Lutherans. Let's look at the Methodists. Oh, we don't like to teach the Old Testament. We don't like to teach these messages of judgment, even though the Bible says we're just going to cherry pick and, you know, teach these things that sound nice, that seem nice. And yes, they are nice. They're beautiful. I don't, I don't discredit. You know, they're they're beautiful. But don't forget the warnings too. Now you look inside these fellowships, and you know what you don't see. You don't see the still waters. You don't see the green grass. What the Lord promises. People say, okay, well, since I don't see the green grass, since I don't see the still waters, the Lord is fake. God isn't real. The Bible's fake. The Bible's fairy tales. That's what people say. And Satan capitalizes on that. And he himself, he's a fisherman and he has messengers. And that's what they say. Now with carnal eyes, it's understandable. You could look in a fellowship. Okay, there's no green grass. There's no still waters. Okay, you know, you can, there's credence to what is seen. What is seen with human eyes. But what is unseen is no, you have a defunct defunct pastor, a defunct elder who doesn't teach the Old Testament, doesn't teach about warning, doesn't teach about revelation, doesn't teach all these you know passages about judgment, doesn't teach about all these passages about wrath. And so what do you have? All this works of the flesh, the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh, and it grows and grows and grows and grows. Nobody's dealing with the leaven. Nobody's putting away from themselves the evil brother, the evil sister. Nobody's doing that. No, There's no cleaning house. And it's the Lord's house. There's no cleaning house. And because you have this abundance of the works of the flesh, you don't see the still waters. You don't see the green grass, the green pastures. You don't see that. There's, you have to make that distinction. Is this guy... In the field? Is this guy part of God's building? Is this lady in the field? Is this lady part of God's building? 
Or is this person a worker? And if a worker, there's a task. Just like we see pastor to pastor, overseer to overseer, teacher to teacher. You see? And so now Paul is speaking as to wise men in verse 15. He's speaking as to wise men. And how beautiful it is. Because in chapter 3, I speak as to babies. But you also see, this was before chapter 5. He speaks as to babies. Now you see the works of the flesh has been dealt with. The leaven has been dealt with. And now look at the remnant in Corinth. This remnant in Corinth, how beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're, compared, to Cor- compared to the city of Corinth proper, you know, there was uh, like a, 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 a certain level of brightness inside the church. But now that the leaven has been dealt with, look at the brightness in Corinth now. You see this shift. The leaven's been dealt with. The leaven is gone. The leaven has been cut out. And now you have this remnant that remains. That is beautiful. Beautiful. Now you have calming in the church. Calming among the saints. Now you have still waters. Where the water was rough, now you have still waters. Now you have green pastures. Why? Because safety is brought back into the church. You see? Those in the household of Chloe. Paul, we got a problem over here. You see? Verse 15, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Crino for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, which we praise is how it translates. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Very interesting. I mean, it just so happens that we're, you know, we're on communion Sunday. We're on communion Sunday for such a time as this. Here we are. And not just that. Look what we studied on Wednesday about the rock that was with Israel in the wilderness. And that's what we studied. Look at verse 4. We studied that for such a time as this. I love moments like this because it's like a cloud in the wilderness. The Lord is right here with us. Verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion? Is it not the koinonia? The Koinonia is the Greek for partnership, but it's deeper than partnership. It's a social intercourse. It's intercourse in the body of it's intercourse in the body, but intercourse with Christ. And you know, no perversion. Get the perversion out of your head. I mean, if your mind you say social intercourse, if your mind goes off into crazy town, repent. Because you need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Whatever you meditate on, it has to be true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. If it's not, repent. Clean your mind. Clean your mind with the blood of Christ. Because He cleanses deep to the marrow. He cleanses. You say, oh, that's not my spirit. That's not my spirit. I can't do that. Get a new spirit. As the Lord promises. Oh, but you don't understand. I have this foothold. I have this foothold. Look for the door. But it's been a foothold for 10 years. This whole 10 years, you haven't been looking for the door, the way of escape. And if you found the way of escape, you see the door, you haven't been fleeing. Further disobedience. Look for the door. Maybe that's why you haven't been maturing in Christ. 
Maybe that's why you haven't matured into Christ. Maybe that's why, you know, some of you ought to be teachers by now. now. Remember Hebrews 5? You know, oh, how long have you been a Christian? 10 years, 20 years? And you're still on milk? How come you're not a teacher? Oh, well, the Lord hasn't called me into that. Well, how can you hear? You still have baby ears. How can you hear? You see? The Lord wants to work in you. And you have to let Him. You have to understand these things. This cup of blessing which we bless in verse 16, is it not the communion, the koinonia, this social intercourse, oneness, intimacy? Koinonia. The communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the koinonia of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. You see, koinonia, oneness in the body of Christ. Now, people say, unity, unity, they proclaim unity. But remember, it's unity in accordance with the word of God. Unity in accordance with what with sound doctrine, as we read in Romans chapter 16. In Romans 16, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. You see, oh, church unity, church unity. You teach grave soaking? Yeah, I love grave soaking. Okay, that's not unity in the Word of God, unity in Christ. That's not doctrine. That's not sound, that's not sound doctrine. Oh, but look, the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 10 that we are many, we are one bread, one body. We all partake of that one bread. You go grave soaking? Yeah. You're not even bread. You're not even like rye bread. You're not even like, you know, wheat. You're not even bread. You go grave soaking? You want to call glitter the Holy Spirit? That's not even bread. You want to teach sound do- or fa- fake doctrine? False te- you want to be a false teacher? That's not even bread. You see? Don't forget that our Lord Himself says that in the last days, many Christs will come. Lowercase c. Not capital C. Not the Messiah. But many Christs will come. Lowercase c. That's what the last days is going to look like. People will present to you all kinds of different Christs. They'll say, oh yeah, Jesus wants us to go grave soaking. That's another Christ. Because the real Jesus will never take you grave soaking. Oh yeah, Jesus wants us to worship Mary. No, 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 no. The real Christ will never have you worship Mary. You see? Oh yeah, Jesus Christ wants to worship this, wants us to worship the guy, this guy who brings fire down from heaven. No, the real Christ will warn you that's the false prophet. Many Christs in the last days. But I speak as to wise. In verse 18, observe Israel after the flesh, or observe Israel, it's, uh, 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 it, it translates as uh, in, uh, according to the flesh. Observe Israel, kata is the Greek word, kata. Observe Israel, kata, according to the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices 
partakers of the altar or koinonos, koinonos, partakers of the altar. What am I saying then? I love this so much because Paul is explaining these deep things. What am I saying then? Question mark. His desire to explain things to the church so that they can have this deeper understanding. Because remember, he says, I speak as to wise men in verse 15. Verse 3, chapter 3, I speak as to babies. Here in chapter 10, verse 15, I speak as to wise men. What's the difference? The leaven has been dealt with. And now that the leaven has been dealt with, let's move on to perfection. You see? Let's, let's feed on these deeper things. Instead of milk, I'm giving you some Cheerios. Instead of Cheerios, I'm giving you some little, you know, chicken strips. Instead of these chicken strips, we're moving on to the spiritual pork chops. You see? Maturity. You see the shift. This beautiful, beautiful base plate of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. Beautiful base plate. Even though he says, I speak as to babies. But then you get into chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, which is hardcore. Then you see a little shift in chapter 8. Deeper things. Chapter 9, deeper things. Chapter 10, deeper things. Because he's not speaking to babies anymore. He's speaking to the remnant. The leaven has been dealt with. What am I saying then? He says in verse 19. That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything. Now, we covered this in chapter 8. This is covered in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the things, eating of things offered to idols, we know, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. This is something that we studied in chapter 8. We know these things. So let's go on in chapter 10, verse 10. Rather... That the thing which the Gentiles sacrifice or slaughter, they sacrifice to demons. Demons. People say, oh, they just let people worship their other gods. They have all these other gods. That's fine and dandy. They have their other gods. Yeah, they're other gods, but you know who's behind the scenes? Demons. It's satanic. It's evil. Call it what it is. Oh, they just they just want to do their yoga. Call it what it is. It's demonic. Oh, they just want to go grave soaking. Call it what it is. It's demonic. Oh, they just want to worship Mary. Call it what it is. Demonic. You see? Paul is explaining these things. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. I do not want you to have koinonos, koinonos, partakers with demons. Demonic beings is how it translates, or demonic entity. So, which is it? You read chapter 8 and you think like, oh, okay, we have this freedom. Yes, we do have this freedom. But remember, understand the conscience another person's conscience. So which is it? What do we do, Paul? What do we do, Paul? Okay, are you in the field or are you a worker? You have to make these distinctions. You have to. Because the workers, they feed the sheep and they protect the sheep. They protect the flock, lambs included. They protect the flock of God. It's not their flock, it's the Lord's flock. In verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You How it translates, you absolutely cannot drink the cup of the Lord 
and the cup of demons. You absolutely cannot. That's how it translates. Absolutely cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Very interesting. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Now remember, this is a letter to the New Covenant Church. The church, not the Old Testament. The New Testament in accordance with the New Covenant. And the Lord, even still, can be provoked to jealousy. Just as He does in the Old Testament. Just as is possible in the Old Testament and just as happens in the Old Testament. You know why? Because God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You say, well, Jesus Christ wasn't in the Old Testament. He was the rock. As is revealed in chapter 10, verse 4. You see? A lot of Christians deceive themselves. I mean, defunct pastors, defunct elders, that's one thing. That's, I mean, that's not good. Berean, you have to be a Berean because the defunct pastors, they can't get away with that when you're a Berean. You see, look at those in the household of Chloe, Bereans. That's a, a little Berea inside of Corinth. You see, a little Berea inside of Corinth. And where was that found? In the household of Chloe. Where was the mess found? With the defunct pastors, the defunct shepherds, who had no business teaching, just as we read in Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. No business teaching, no business behind the pulpit. And what are they doing? Oh, I'm a worker. I'm going to be at the pulpit. No, you're not a worker. Come here, let's have a conversation, oh, worker. And then, is this person a wolf, or does this person need to go in the field? You see, is this person part of God's building? Not to say, like, you know, you know, God in God's building, He can take people out of that building and put them to work. But something, you know, growth needs to happen, maturity needs to happen. No, no babies. No babies. Babies need not apply. And I don't say that boastfully, I don't say that pridefully. If you're a baby in Christ, if you're young in Christ, you became a believer today, or you became a believer last month, praise be to the Lord. God is at work inside of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. He's building something beautiful inside of you. And in the course of time, as you mature, <clears throat> in the course of time, as you mature, I'm going to call you into ministry to be a shepherd, to be a Titus, to be an overseer. But then there's that responsibility of a worker. Making the distinction. Verse 22. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now. Before we get to verse 23. Let's turn really quick. To chapter 6. Verse 12. And this is what Paul says. All things are lawful for me. And this is chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything or I will not be brought under the control of anything. This is a choice that the worker Paul makes. I'm not going to be under the control. I'm not going to be under the power of anything. Why? Because I look to the door. That's what Paul says. I look for the way of escape. And I don't just look for the way of escape to, to turn my head and say, oh, look, there's a nice little door there. No, he looks at the door of escape and takes the door of escape. 
You see? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, making sure that in his heart and in his mind, whatever is meditated on is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's what Paul does. Because he will not be brought under the power of any, the control of any. He doesn't want to be compromised in his heart of hearts. He doesn't want compromise. No, Lord, this is your temple. This is all for you, 100%. That's what Paul says. Now, let's go back to, back to chapter 10, verse 23. He says the same thing. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. You see? Edify. So, Understand that, yes, not all things edify, but the mindset of a worker is a little different. The mindset of a worker says, I will not be under the power. I will not place myself under the power of anything. I will not place myself under the control of anything. That's the mindset of a worker. A lot of pastors have problems with pornography. A lot of pastors have problems with drugs. A lot of pastors are meth heads. A lot of pastors are the, you know, the crackheads. A lot of pastors are the dealers even. You say like, oh my goodness, that's atrocious. I know, it happens. I could name names too. But I won't. I won't. But the mindset, the mindset, the heart set of a shepherd says, I will not be under the control. The mindset of the worker. No, I'm not going to be brought under the control. Of the alcohol, of the sex, of the pornography, of the crack, of the meth, of the tax cheat, of the, you know, the uh, you know, nice little tax shelters, little parsonage on the Pacific Palisades, nice little par- parsonage on the, you know, this nice little island in Hawaii, nice little parsonage here, and a nice little uh, 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 church-funded private airplane that will fly me from place to place. Nice little church-funded driver that will drive me from point A to point B. You see? Hirelings. Filthy lucre. Dirty money. You see? He says, I speak as to wise men. A little different mindset. Now you understand how, you know, many workers have no business being workers. Just like we see in Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. And it's dangerous, not just for them. It's dangerous for the church. Because when you see these defunct pastors and defunct elders in Corinth, look at what happened. I mean, I praise the Lord that First Corinthians was written. I mean, that sounds, you know, I don't want to sound blasphemous in saying that, or suggesting that, you know, it shouldn't be written. But I love it so much because it's like, okay, you see this transition of the church, this church that is very carnal, very carnal, the works of the flesh. And I praise the Lord that these are captured, First Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. I rejoice that it's captured in the truth of God's word. But then there's a little bitter side, like, man, why did this have to happen? Why did this even have to get to this point? And I, you know, not, I know that sounds borderline blasphemous. 
but it's it, it's hard that these subject matter are here. A guy having sex with his dad's wife? Come on, I mean, that's like, like I cringe at not just the thought of it, but just like uttering out of my mouth, like, uh, like it, like it's it's ugly, it's gross, it's sick, it's like what is happening here? Now you understand this process of not the process, but this necessity for blood, the blood of the Lamb, capital L. Remember in the Old Testament? Remember the law, the Ten Commandments was given three times. Twice rejected. The third time, even still rejected, except there's blood. You see? The Ten Commandments, first time given orally, you know, by, by, by voice. And the people said, no, Moses, you know, stop it. Stop, stop the Lord from talking we're going we're gonna to let you speak to the Lord and we'll do what you say. And then the Ten Commandments came down the second time and then they were destroyed with the golden calf. The law was rejected first time. The law was rejected second time. And then the law, speaking of the Ten Commandments, only ten. And the third time, the law was still rejected except now it was, except it was given, not destroyed, but only with blood, the atonement for sin. As ugly as we see in Corinth, I mean, sexual relations with the the guy's dad's wife, it's like, the cringe. But then now you see the need for blood. You see, the beauty of blood that washes away sin, no matter how nasty the sin is, no matter how gross the sin is. You might be listening. You're not a believer. You should be a believer by now. Don't be a non-believer. You're a non-believer. Cut it out. Believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Become a believer. Become born again. And come back and listen. And let's move on to perfection. The need for blood. I don't care how nasty your sin is. I don't care how gross your sin is. Because you know what Satan does? He'll make you feel like dirt. And the closer your heart desires to come to Christ, he'll make you feel like even bigger dirt. Like you're filthy. So much so that you just want to blow your brains out. You know why I say that? Because I've been there, my friend. I've been there. Feeling so dirty that you just want to take the dirt nap. That's what Satan does. You know what the Lord does? Look at the woman caught in adultery. Woman, where are your accusers, he says. Where are they? They all walked away. They were going to stone her. Five minutes prior, they were railing again. Like, we're going we're gonna to stone her. Five minutes prior. Three minutes prior. Two minutes prior. Ready to stone her in accordance to the law. But don't forget... The law that was given, and I'm just speaking of only Ten Commandments, that's it. There's, you know, addendums, ordinances, statutes, there's addendums, but we go back to just ten. We're not, And the Lord goes back even further, before the ten. 
you know, where there was just one circumcision, <laughs> belief. <laughs> Don't forget the law that Moses broke, almost broke if it wasn't for his beautiful, beautiful wife, Zipporah, who circumcised her sons right there, threw the foreskins at Moses' feet, and the Lord wanted to kill Moses. But then you have the intercession of beautiful Zipporah. You see? A strong exhortation for my sisters who are wives. You know, interceding for your husband. Your husband wants to be in his dirty business on the computer, his dirty business on the phone. Mm -mm. Smash those puppies. Smash them. Destroy those computers. You know? No more internet, you know? Destroy it. Be like Zipporah. How beautiful it is. You see, you know, the law that was given and not destroyed was with blood. With blood. And the woman caught in adultery. The law that was about to be uh, executed and killing her in her own execution. Well, it was with the lamb. You see? And he says, woman, where are your accusers? They all walked away. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all walked away, one by one. Oldest to youngest. You see? Because the one who was oldest, he knew it was up. He knew. He walks away. Woman, where are your accusers? The fulfillment of the law. And in the fulfillment of the law, do we find forgiveness and remission of sins. The Son of God, the Lamb of God. And also, the Son of Man. In accordance to the promises of, of, of the Lord, but spoken of through David. And of David. The Son of David. The Messiah. Now, if you're Jewish and you're listening, it's not, you know, two Messiahs. One Messiah, two comings. In accordance with the prophecies. In accordance with the prophets. In accordance with the Psalms. So he says this in verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So it's concern for another brother or sister. Remember, the division has happened already. So sometimes, you know, people will say, and people will throw it in your face too. They'll be so full. They'll be leaven. They'll be so full of leaven. Having sex like crazy, doing drugs like crazy, doing pornography like crazy, going to the strip clubs like crazy. And they'll say, hey, brother, hey, sister, let no one seek his own. So the Bible says, let no one seek his own, each one the other's well-being. So, yeah, you know, I'm a sex head. I'm a crackhead. I'm a meth head. And you know what? I, got, I do all these dirty things. I'm a tax cheat. I do all these dirty things. But hey, brother, hey, sister, the Bible says you're supposed to look out for my well-being. That's what happens. That's what the fools say, because there's no wisdom. Don't forget, we're in chapter 10 in Corinth, Corinthians, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. What has happened already? The great divide has already happened. The purging of the, anyone named a brother, this purging, this leaven has been dealt with already, which makes chapter 10, verse 24, a lot easier, a lot easier. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Okay, to have concern for another brother or sister. Okay, 
it's a lot easier when this division has happened already. You see? Now, I don't want to say that, you know, take the easy road and say like, okay, you know, don't do these things. Don't partake in these things. Don't, you know, help another brother. Don't have concern for another brother or sister. Certainly have concern for them. But it must be with sound doctrine. Because sound doctrine will address the works of the flesh. Sound doctrine will understand that, you know, look at all the alls in verse 1. Verse 1, 2, 3, 4, look at all the alls. And then in verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. You see? Verse 6, they were our examples. You see? Verse 11, they were our examples. They were written for our admonition. Leaven is dealt with by the truth of God's holy word. So, say the church is a thousand people in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 1. Say there's a thousand people in the church. By the time we get to chapter 10, there's not going to be a thousand. Maybe 300. And you might see that and be like, oh man, that's so sad. But there's a rejoice. I mean, it's sad, but there's the rejoicing side. There's the joyful side of it too. Because you have a remnant. You have koinonia. You have the ecclesia. A people set apart. A people consecrated to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see? A wise virgin awaiting her bridegroom. A wise virgin awaiting her husband. Capital H. If you're married, a wise virgin awaiting her better husband. You see? Praise be to the Lord. He teaches us all these things. So many times you have the leaven saying, Hey, Christian. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Yeah, I'm leaven, but you got to do this. Because they're thinking about themselves. Yeah, you know, I'm leaven. Yeah, I do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. But, you know, you have to do this. But they're judging themselves. They're deceiving themselves and they're judging themselves. Do you know why? Because such a person, such a person who says this to you, they have knowledge of what the word says. But if such a person has knowledge of what the word says and they themselves refuse to do it, faith without works is dead. See? And let the dead bury the dead. You see, can these dead bones walk? Lord, you know. Can these dead bones live? Lord, you know. You see, we were told these things. We knew these times would come. And they're here. Look at verse 25. In closing... Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. I love this so much, you know. <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> Eat whatever is sold in the market, asking no questions. <laughs> I love this song. It's like, you know, say we're in Corinth. We get in a time machine. We go back in Corinth. It's like, okay, 
Here's Diana's meat market, you know, Diana's kebabs or Aphrodite's kebabs, and you're starving. Okay, so next time we're going to turn the corner. Don't ask any questions, you know, just eat the kebab, no questions. <laughs> you know, whatever sold in the meat market, asking no questions. Eat whatever sold in the meat market, asking no questions. For conscience sake, now we see the picture of Paul's care for these instructions for the times in Corinth. Yes, the Corinth is this hub, this commercial hub. Yes, there's these all these different gods and goddesses, lowercase g. Yes, there's all these different belief systems. Yes, there's this, that. There's all these pitfalls. There's all these minds. And Paul's teaching the people. Paul's teaching Christians. Paul's teaching the saints. Paul's teaching the remnant. Hey, remnant, this is how you navigate the times. This is how you navigate. Go ahead, go to the meat market, but don't ask any questions. For the sake of conscience, you see, teaching the people how to navigate in their journey with the Lord, you see, as a pattern. How he says, you know, the Lord has given these people as a pattern. Remember, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what Paul says. But then you have the defunct pastor, the defunct elder who says, okay, Paul was a teacher. I'm a teacher too. Follow me as I follow Christ. But they're defunct. Do you like to teach the Old Testament? No, it's too much judgmental. Okay. You know, don't follow that guy. Do you like to teach the book of Revelation? No, there's too much judgment. Okay. Don't follow that guy. You see, do you teach sound doctrine? Do you like to go grave soaking? Oh yeah, I love to go grave soaking. Okay. Don't follow that guy. You have to be a Berean. You have to be in Chloe's household. Oh, I'm a man. I don't want to be in Chloe's household. Okay, In Christ. No male, female in Christ. It is written. You're looking at things with carnal eyes. Get rid of your carnal eyes. Open up your spiritual eyes. And taste and see that the Lord is good. And he gives us these instructions. And Paul is giving instructions to this church who is a remnant. The leaven has been dealt with. Chapter 3, he speaks to babies. Chapter 10, he's introducing wisdom. Chapter 10, verse 15, I speak as two wise men. In verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Now, you notice with this focus on conscience, when he says in verse 25, you know, whatever's sold in the meat market, go ahead and eat it, but don't ask any questions for the sake of conscience. Now, you notice with consciousness in mind that more scripture comes to life because he quotes here from the Psalms, Psalm 24 to be exact. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Now, when you have conscience in mind, you see differently. Intellect and logic, they have to go on the back burner. Because with intellect and logic, you cannot see, you cannot understand the things of the conscience. You have to, not to throw it in the garbage, because intellect and logic have its place. But you have to see deeper the inner man, the inner woman, the inner boy, the inner girl, the inner old person, the inner old, old guy, inner old lady, which is the temple. 
Logic can't understand these things. Logic can't even see these things. Logic can't even comprehend these things. And without that comprehension, without that comprehension, what scripture comes to life? So when Paul in verse 25, he says, for conscience sake, this is what you do. And with that in mind, look at verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Boom. Psalm 24 comes to life. You see? If you have a, you apply this logic, you apply this intellect, how can other scriptures come to life in your heart, in your temple? How can it? When you don't have eyes to see, when you don't have ears to see, ears to hear. How? You see, these things are spiritually discerned. In verse 27, if any of those who do not believe, so non-believers, non-believers in Corinth, remember they're in Corinth. This, I mean, a non-believer in, a non-believer in Berea is, arguably, different from a non-believer in Corinth. Corinth was a little rough around the edges, you know, as evidence in, you know, the culture of Corinth, the, 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 the commercial hub and all their gods and goddesses that they had, lowercase g. So a non-believer in Corinth is a little different than a non-believer in, you know, uh, another part of the, the area. So if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. <laughs> so beautiful. So beautiful. And you know, what's beautiful about this is, in my own experience, non-believers are better cooks. <laughs> in my <laughs> in my experience one time there was a lady she invited us to dinner you know she said oh come over to my place God. we're gonna have dinner and you know I'm not Caucasian you know so you know I'm not Caucasian so she says oh yeah I'm gonna make some nice enchiladas you know and it, it's so crazy because like the origin my origins we don't even have enchiladas you know <laughs> so, come over we're gonna have dinner i'm gonna prepare a nice meal for you we're gonna have enchiladas and so we get there you know i start eating the enchiladas this was the nastiest things i've ever eaten in my it felt like it, it tastes like i have a foot in my mouth that thing was the grossest thing like i've ever had in my life it was nasty so a lot of non-believers in my experience you know, non-believers are better cooks so it works to your advantage so in verse 20 uh, 27 Eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, boom. Now you see something different happen here. Now you know. You have this knowledge now. And it's, understand too, that you're with a non-believer. Someone who doesn't proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So now that you know, someone says, okay, this was offered to idols. He says, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So the same verse from Psalm 24, the same verse. And when you apply this knowledge, still, when you apply this logic, still with the conscience in mind, the verse still comes to life. Because you haven't taken logic and knowledge and intellect. You haven't thrown it in the trash. 
You just put it on the back burner. Now that you have this knowledge of, okay, this meat, this whatever we're eating, it was sacrificed to Aphrodite. It was sacrificed to whatever. You don't eat it. You see? For the sake of, you know, the, 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 uh, the one who told you and the conscience sake. You see? You have the conscience in mind. A lot of people, Christians, Christians, they do not have the conscience in, in mind. Their own conscience they don't even think about their own conscience. Maybe it's a little easier if they do think about their own conscience, but they certainly don't think about the conscience of another. You see, a lot of homes having taking into consideration the conscience of those in your home, the conscience of those you're raising up. Oh, I'm going to raise intellectuals. I'm going to raise, you know, the, you know, I'm going to raise up this generation of the intellectuals. No. You're in for a world of hurt if that's you. You're in for a world of hurt. Have the conscience in mind. You're still applying knowledge and logic. Especially now that we see this example in verse 28. Now there's this knowledge. Okay, now how do I respond? Paul is navigating. Paul is teaching the people how to navigate through Corinth. Not navigate, you know, turn left here, turn right here in, in the worldly sense, but navigate in terms of Christians. A people set apart. The remnant. A people consecrated to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's teaching him, when this happens, you do this. And the scripture verse in Psalms 24 still comes to life. The word comes to life. The word became flesh. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The word, word was with God and the Word was God. The Word comes to life. In your life. In your heart. In your mind. In your soul. Deep down in your marrow. In the temple. You see? Verse 29. Conscience. Conscience, I say. Not your own. Not your own. But that of the other. So what do we see here? There's a clash of faiths. So somebody invites you to dinner and, you know, before you're like, oh, I'm not going to eat this. It's, you know, this guy's not even a Christian. But somebody invites you and you want to go, don't ask any questions. Don't ask any questions. Then you're eating. You're like, wow, this is some nice ribeye steak. You're eating. And the person says, oh, by the way, this was, this was offered to Aphrodite. Then you stop eating. I'm not eating this. But it's because of the conscience of the other. There's a clash of faiths here. You're a Christian. You honor the Lord. You honor Christ. But the person who invited you, they, they're not a Christian. They don't even like Jesus Christ, but they honor Aphrodite. They honor Aphrodite. And you're a Christian. Don't eat it. Because it's offered to Aphrodite. He says this in verse 29. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? You see, there's no need to argue. No need to argue whatsoever. You know, it's offered to Aphrodite. Okay, I'm not going to eat it. You have the other person's conscience in mind. So, wait, wait a second. I don't get what's happening here. Well, let's explain this. So, the conscience, when you have the other person's conscience in mind, it remains intact. Yes, it's unto Aphrodite, but their conscience remains intact. Now, understand that we are called to be peaceful as doves. So, okay, 
I'm not going to take my knowledge and abuse this knowledge and just destroy this person's conscience. No, peaceful as doves. But now you have to be wise like a serpent. And Aphrodite, Aphrodite needs to be revealed as weak and nothing and irrelevant. Just like with the gods of Egypt. You remember the gods of Egypt? God would perform one miracle, the gods of Egypt performed the same. God would perform one miracle, the gods of Egypt would do the same. God would make the hail come, the gods of Egypt, nope, they can't make the hail come. As God was making himself known, the gods of Egypt were becoming irrelevant. You see? The same thing happens as New Covenant believers. The exact same thing. The conscience intact. The, you go to eat dinner at some, you know, a, a co-worker who's, uh, who worships Aphrodite. Don't ask any questions. Eat a nice ribeye steak. Delicious. Fresh barbecue. And then you're eating, you're like halfway through, you can't wait to finish. Maybe it's your first bite. <laughs> your first bite. And they say, oh, by the way, <laughs> this is offered to Aphrodite. Excuse me. By the way, you like this ribeye steak, your first bite? Oh, by the way, it was offered to Aphrodite. Boom, you stop eating right there. Because now you know it's offered to Aphrodite. You had a clear conscience before because you didn't know. But now that you know, it's there's a, a different game in play. I shouldn't say game, but a different tactic in play. Now you have the other person's conscience in mind. Okay, you worship Aphrodite, I worship Jesus Christ. You have this clash of faith. But at the same time, you're peaceful as a dove and wise as a serpent. Now what happens? Look what Paul, what Paul explains. Why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? That's the question he asks. But in verse 30, he says, but if I partake with thanks, if I partake with thanks. Now, this is to partake with graciousness, with pleasurability. Now, remember, Paul is himself a recipient of God's grace. And so now as a recipient of his grace, he's now a deliverer of his grace and mercy, and love. If I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of or uh, vilified and defamed for food over which I give thanks? Now, what was happening is people were making fun of Paul. Oh, how dare Paul eat with this, this person? Paul had uh, ate this meal, and this meal was offered to Aphrodite, and what in the world is Paul doing there? He shouldn't even be there. Well, so... Paul's give an example here. Paul is having lunch with Jane, Fred, and Gertrude. Okay? Jane, Fred, and Gertrude, who worship Aphrodite. Paul didn't know. Paul didn't know. But he's having lunch with Jane, Fred, and Gertrude. And you see them. They're having a meal. You look through the window and you see them having a meal. I don't know what you're doing at the window, but you see them. How dare he? How dare Paul do that? He's eating at their house and you know he's having a meal and that meal. but Paul didn't know. But then now that he knows he's going to stop eating that meat, and now there's a little shift as God makes himself known. Remember, Paul's just a vessel. Just like the gods of Egypt, they did miracle one, they did miracle two, the same as the Lord. 
Miracle 3, boom, they can't do it. Miracle 4, boom, they can't do it. Miracle 5, boom, they can't do it. And the very ones who worshipped the gods of Egypt, they were the ones who acknowledged the Lord. We studied that a couple weeks ago. In, I'll, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 8, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 8 because we went back to uh, uh, Exodus. So now Paul being peaceful as a dove, He's also being wise as a serpent, but also understand he's fishing. He's also fishing. Now, Paul, we've seen, we've read Acts. We've read uh, Romans. If you've been walking with me for a while, we've studied other uh, writings of Paul. We know his heart. We know his calling. We know the spirit of the Lord in his life. We know his heart is in is that his desire for them, for Jane, Fred, and Gertrude to become Christians. Now, instead of like peeking through the windows, how dare Paul? How dare Paul? Maybe look through the window. I mean, not, not like you know. Maybe we're walking by on the sidewalk and we look in. It's like, is that Paul? Oh my goodness, what is Paul? And then we know because we know Paul's heart, because we know his calling, we also have a little smile on our face because we know. Paul's giving them the gospel. Paul's telling them about Jesus Christ. He's fishing right now. And instead of saying, how dare Paul? You know what we do? We say, let's pray for Paul. Let's pray for Paul and let's pray for their hearts. Because they might receive Jesus Christ right now. We might welcome them into the family of God tonight. Let's pray. Quick, let's run home. Let's go in a little private. Let's sit on the couch and let's close our eyes and let's pray. You see, let's worship the Lord and ask for the Lord to intercede. Let's ask for the Lord to soften their hearts. And let's ask for the Lord to, you know, show Aphrodite as meaningless, as worthless, as he makes himself known using Paul. You see, now what we know, what Paul isn't going to do, he's not going to be in the house of Jane and Fred and Gertrude and get drunk with them. He's not going to be in their house and, you know, talk dirty jokes with them. He's not going to go to a motel with Gertrude. Now, I know that's abrasive in saying that you're like, where? why did you even mention that? Because this is happening today. When Corinth permeates the church, it's happening today. Corinth has permeated the church. The world has permeated the church. And you see all these so-called ministers, all these so-called workers who biblically, based on what we've studied so far, they have no business being workers. They're in the field. They're in the building. But they have no business being workers. Remember? Shepherd to shepherd, what we looked at in Titus 1, verses 10 through 11. Shepherd to shepherd. Overseer to overseer, worker to worker, pastor to pastor. Their mouths must be stopped. They teach what they ought not to teach. You don't see the works of the flesh in Paul. Paul's not about doing dirty business. No, he's all about the Lord's business. He's all about God's business. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. If you remember our study in Leviticus and Numbers. You have to make the distinction. Field and worker. 
We have to make this distinction. Because just like people say, oh, Paul's so mean, Paul's so mean-spirited. Well, when you read Titus chapter 1, verse 11, their mouths must be stopped. With carnal eyes, you could say, oh, yeah, that is mean-spirited. But with spiritual eyes, you understand, well, wait a second. Paul's a worker. Paul's not in the field like I am. Paul is a worker. You have to make this distinction. Or if you're a worker, you could say Paul's a fellow worker like I am. And understand that the workers behave accordingly, in accordance to their calling, in accordance to sound doctrine, in accordance with the word of God. You see? It depends where you are. Are you in the field? Are you in the building? Or are you a worker? Where are you at? You say, okay, I'm a worker. Praise be to the Lord. Now, if I were to meet you for the first time, I would do some, you know, there are some qualifiers. You know, do you, do you do grave soaking? Yeah, I do grave soaking. You're not a worker. Doctrine, you know, just like in, in Romans, you know, not days and, you know, foods, you know, not those are non-essentials. But you want to teach grave soaking? You want to call glitter the Holy Spirit? You want to do your holy laughter? You see? You want to teach all these abominations? No, you're not a worker. So there are testing the spirits. There are qualifiers. You know? In accordance with sound doctrine. But then it's like, wait a second, you're a fellow worker. Okay, praise be to the Lord. Let's go to business. Let's go to work. Let's handle business. You see? Let's go to work. Fellow workers. Just like Paul and Titus. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Barnabas. Chloe. You see? Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. A little home fellowship. Maybe it was a big home fellowship. I don't know. You see? Uh, 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 and not just Chloe, but don't forget um, the deacon of Rome or the deacon of um, Phoebe. Phoebe, the deacon of Centria, who was sent to Rome. Centria. So in closing, understand that Paul, you know, it's not to point the finger at Paul and say, Paul, how dare he? He's eating with Jane and Fred and Gertrude and they're of Aphrodite. They're Aphrodite. They believe in Aphrodite. They worship that meat that he's eating. It was, no, you, you know that Paul's about the Lord's business. Let's go pray for Paul in this mission. Let's go pray for Jane, Fred, and Gertrude because they might be Christians. I might be embracing them in two hours as my brother, as my sister's. You see, Paul says in verse 30, if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food for over which I give thanks? Why am I vilified and defamed for food which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Remember, division has happened. Do all for the glory of God. When I say division has happened, that's chapter 5, 6, and 7. Difficult, difficult chapters. But the leaven is already gone. It makes things a lot easier. Verse 31. You know why? 
because you don't have to eat with the drunkard. You don't have to eat with this in the church. Anyone named a brother, anyone named a sister, you don't have to eat with you because you've made that division. You've separated from yourselves the evil person. The leaven has been dealt with. It's the remnant. It's the remnant. You see? Look what's happening here in Corinth. Now you understand, like when we get into chapter 11, chapter 12, 13, 14, it's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Then we're going to get into 2 Corinthians, and it's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's going to get so beautiful. You see 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you see a very, very carnal church. But then you also see the crucifixion of the church. Just like Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. You see Corinth crucified with Christ as they themselves move on to perfection. As they themselves put away from themselves the evil person. As they themselves deal with the leaven and cut away the leaven. As they themselves move on to maturity. No more defunct pastors. The defunct pastors have been dealt with. And we're going to see more and more of deeper things of the spiritual maturity in Corinth. The state of Corinth. Corinth is Corinth. And yes, Corinth permeated the church and caused major damage to the church. But just as cancer causes major damage to a body, when cancer isn't dealt with, it kills the body. But when cancer is dealt with, the body lives. You see? The same in accordance to faith. You say, wait a second, are you calling me cancer? Well, the works, what are the works of the flesh? The sexual sin, the drugs, the alcohol. Don't let it have a foothold. Oh, but it's habitual sin. Look for the door. And don't just look for the door to look at the door. Look for the door and take the door. Go and make the way of the Lord. With temptation, 100% of the time, temptation always has accompaniment. Temptation is never alone. Never. Biblically, temptation is never alone. It's not a sin to be tempted. Don't forget. It's not a sin to be tempted. But temptation can get foothold based on a disobedient mind which is, you know, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. If in your mind you meditate on these things, praise be to the Lord. There's no foothold on you. And you might, you're still going to be tempted, but it's not going to have a strong foothold as if you were disobedient in your mind. And remember, you have to take the other person's conscience into mind as well. Because in another person's conscience, it might be a foothold on them. And so for the sake of the other person's conscience, you respond accordingly. Why? Because you want Christ to live inside of them. Very important to understand this. It's not saying, oh, this guy is submitting to this other guy. No, it's this other person. This, this guy is designed in their conscience for the Lord to be glorified. Just like Paul says, I'm not going to eat meat anymore. If this meat is going to cause somebody to stumble, no more meat for me. I'm not eating meat. You see? 
Don't use your liberty as a vice for sin. Immense, immense liberty in Christ, but don't use it as excuse for sin and don't use it as a tool that would bring another person into sin, another Christian, another brother, because you sin against Christ, because you're hurting their conscience. Concern for the other, you see? Temptation will come, but temptation never comes alone. Gotta look for the door. There's always the way of escape. And you don't just look for the way of escape. You got to take the way of escape. So in closing, in verse 32, give no offense. This is a cause to stumble either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. So translate as the ecclesia of God, the church of God. Now, we've read the book of Acts. We've read the epistles And you see what Paul says here in verse 32, give no offense. Now, having read Acts, the quotes of Paul, having read the epistles, the writings of Paul. Now you read verse 32, Paul says, give no offense. But then we have passages where it's like, wow, Paul's, that's kind of offensive. (laughs) You know, Paul says, give no offense. But to Titus, he says, their mouths must be stopped. It's like, whoa, that's pretty offensive. But wait a second. Let me ask you a question. Is it Paul or is it the truth that is in him? Or is it the truth of the word of God of which he spoke? Because my pastor in California, I used to think he was the most offensive guy ever. Well, not the most. Well, top five, top ten for sure. How could this guy be a Christian? How could this guy be a man of God, so-called man of God? Because he's offensive. He's so offensive in what he teaches. He says this, he says that, he says this, he says that. It's so offensive. How dare he say that? But you know what happened? I would listen to him without my Bible. Oh, this guy's so offensive. And then I started listening to him with my Bible. And he would say, turn here. And, you know, I'd turn my pages, flip over here, find exactly where he was. And he would start to read. And then I realized something. I thought my whole, this whole time, I thought this guy was offensive. I thought he was offensive. But then I realized, wait a second. He's just a messenger. He's just saying what the Bible says. And it's the Bible that's offensive. You see? What? Remember Jesus Christ says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because when you're offended, uh, offended, the natural inclination is to put up these roadblocks, these blocks, build a wall. Build a wall between you and whatever form that offense comes in. You cannot do that with the Bible. People do it with the Bible, but don't do it. The walls of Jericho must fall. Don't do it. Why? Because it's what the Lord is doing. He's confronting the flesh. He's confronting the natural man. That's what he's doing. The Holy Spirit. Yes, you will feel conviction. Yes, you will feel pain. People used to tell me all the time, 
You know, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Well, with disobedience, you're not going to feel good about yourself. The only time, and I tell you the truth, and I tell you from experience, the only time you'll hear a message of the Word of God and feel good in your heart of hearts, the only time that happens is when you have obedience. Because there are passages that I used to, that were like fire to my heart. Fire, fire, fire. Like knives and a million knives in my heart. It was because my life, I was disobedient to the Lord. And when I humbled myself, I shouldn't say humbled myself. I mean, the Lord messed me up. He humbled me. Then I was able to see the beauty of his counsel, the beauty of his word. And the aftermath of that, repentance, came the joy, came the blessings, and joy everlasting, an unspeakable joy. Oh, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I want to hear a Bible study and feel good about myself. Praise be to the Lord. I desire that too. Repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. And when your heart is right with the Lord and you're obeying Him and you're you know, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, there's still going to be more. But these abrasive words that we read in Scripture, understanding that the Word became flesh, they're going to hurt less. Because you're being trained by truth. Remember? No chastisement is joyful for the present. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12. Paul says in verse 32, Give no offense. Now, so you read that and you're like, wait a second, Paul's, their mouths must be stopped. That's kind of offensive, Paul. That's kind of offensive, Paul. But who is it? That's, is it Paul? Or is it the Lord inside of Paul? Is it the Spirit inside of Paul? Is it the Spirit who inspires Paul? Paul, write this down. This is a church in Corinth. This is the workers. This is, this is the building. Paul, write this down for them, for their edification. Write this down for them. Paul, young Titus, who's a new pastor, who's a new overseer, write this letter to him. His exhortation, his he, he was in the field. He was God's building, but now he's a worker. Write to him and say this. In, you know, inspired by the Spirit, write this. You have to make this distinction. He says this in verse 33. Just as, also, just as I also please all men. So you read this and you're like, wait a second. So is he a man pleaser? Is Paul a man pleaser? Now this word is aresco in the Greek. It's... To please by rendering a service, by rendering service. So to be pleasurable by the rendering of service, but it's to satisfy in order to win a person's favor. That's what Paul is talking about here. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, translates as my own advantage, he says, which also can be used for money. Not seeking my own profit or not seeking my own advantage, but the profit or the advantage of many. Why, Paul? That they might be saved. You see? That's Paul's goal. Yes, he pleases all men. He aresco all men, which is to uh, render service. And he satisfies in order to uh, 
in order to win favor. Well, why does he want to win favor? That they might be saved. You see? Going back to the earlier example, Paul may dine with Jane and Fred and Gertrude. He may dine with them. But he's also trying to win their favor. And to win their favor and not eating the meat that's sacrificed to Aphrodite, their conscience remains intact. Their conscience isn't destroyed because if their conscience were destroyed by Paul, then there'd be a fight. Oh, Paul, we're going to kill you. And we're going to call the priests of Aphrodite, the priestesses of Aphrodite, and we're going to kill you. No. Paul, no beef. He's living peaceably with men. But he's also being wise as a serpent. Their conscience is intact. Now, now the conscience of Fred, Gertrude, and Jane. Now, what happens now is that they're, they are the ones who need to learn that Aphrodite cannot and will not satisfy their soul. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can satisfy their soul. You see? And Paul, who is a bondservant, will tell them about Jesus because he wants to save them. He wants to save them. What's happening here? He's fishing. He's fishing. The goal is for these people to be saved, that they might be saved. Remember, we're reading Paul's letter to a field here. Corinthians, we're reading Paul's letter to the field. But the letter to workers, as we read in Titus, the letter to work to workers is a different function, a different tone. You see? It's the works of the flesh. They must be addressed. And with the leaven, you know, when... When, when Paul says in chapter 3, you know, I speak as to babies. Well, he speaks as to babies, but look at the leaven that had not been addressed. Look at the leaven. The sex, the uh, 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 reviling, the drunkenness, the drunkenness. Look at that was, that was in the church. But now in chapter 10, that has been dealt with, that has been addressed. Now he speaks as to wise. You see? Our people. Moving on to perfection. A people having this understanding. Rather than point the finger at Paul, but how dare he have dinner? How dare he have lunch with Jane, Fred, and Gertrude? They worship Aphrodite. No, understand, Paul's at work. Oh, Paul's a man pleaser. He's not a man pleaser. He's pleasing the Lord, but it is Aresco. He's satisfying in order to win their favor. He's rendering a service to win their favor. Maybe he made some tents for them. I don't know. Maybe he made a nice tent for them and they said, hey, we want to invite you over for dinner now. Okay? No matter the case, Paul won favor. And in this winning of favor, he goes and has a nice meal with Fred, Gertrude, and Jane. They worship Aphrodite. He hasn't asked about the meat. He eats a ribeye steak. Oh, this is good. This is so delicious. Oh, Gertrude says, oh, you like this? Okay, yeah. It was uh, offered to Aphrodite. Boom, he stops eating. What's the matter, Paul? Why don't you want to eat this? I thought it was good. It's delicious, but it's an offering to Aphrodite, and I'm a Christian. But, you know, here, you know, we could still, you know, I'll have some juice, you know. We could still, you know, talk and laugh and have a good time. 
but I can't eat this. I'm a Christian. I'm of the way. You might have heard of Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. What are you talking about, Father? We worship Aphrodite. Oh, I, I know, I know. And He's keeping their conscience intact. But in His usage of knowledge and wisdom and being used of the Lord, not that there's any boasting, but His boasting is in Christ. He's winning their favor to bring them to Christ, that he might win them to Christ. You see? Because he's a worker. That's how he's called in his service unto the Lord. That's what's happening. And the church in Corinth needs to understand this and not just understand it, they need to see as example because there's going to be the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, they're gone. Now there's going to be in the next generation. Who's going to be the next pastor? Who's going to be the next elder? And the church needs to understand we're in the world, yes. We're in Corinth, yes, but we're not of Corinth. We're not Corinthians. We're Christians. We're not Corinthians. We're of paradise. We're not Corinthians. We're of Zion. You see? The place to which we're going. We're going to end our study here and pick up, Lord willing, in chapter 11 next week. God bless you. Love you guys.